As we've been going through this series throughout the whole of this term, we've been looking at considering what it means to be in a living relationship with God, essentially. What it means to, to, for prayer to equal life. And as you'll know if you've been here throughout this series, we've been looking at different characters throughout the Old Testament mainly up to now. And we've been learning different things about different ways we can relate to God. We've been learning about what it means to wrestle with God and what it means to rest in God. We've been learning what it means to remind God of his promises and to lean on his name and on his reputation. And even what it means to cry to God from the depths of our own personal despair. I don't know about you, but I've loved it. I think it's been great to go through and see what the Bible has to say about all the kind of breadth of human experience and how we can relate to God from, from within that. The Bible has so much to say. It's, it's so relevant to every kind of aspect of human life. And what we're learning is that we can pray to God, we can engage with God from each of those places and from each of those perspectives. And just from the point of view of the church, I'd say that I think it's having an effect. I can see us praying more, I think, as a church over the course of this term. Um, we recently had our 24-7 prayer week, which is where we devoted a week to, um, to prayer. Um, we divided the week up into little hour-long slots, and everyone signed up for, for a slot. And this one that we've done just recently has been our, our most signed up ever. It's been our fullest week in terms of prayer, so that's fantastic. And um, also, our, I think our Facebook group, which is called... Um, Stories of Breakthrough uh, has, been, has been stepping up a gear in terms of some of the things that have been there, the stories that have been posted on there, stories of God healing people, stories of answered prayer, stories of, of salvation even starting to come through. So uh, it feels like this is having a, an effect on us as a church and uh, we're kind of learning together what it means to, for prayer to equal life. That it's not just a thing we do, it's not just a kind of a, a duty that we have to do as Christians, but it's something that is, is life for us, it's a whole way of life. Now, as we've been going through all of these different characters in the Old Testament, today we've come to the New Testament and we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 6. And this is the big one, really. If you're doing a series on prayer, this is, this is the kind of the big one. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer today. Okay, so the prayer that Jesus himself taught us. Um, so no pressure on me, uh, but, uh, you know, this is quite, quite, quite a significant prayer. But... Um, So without further ado, let's dive in and read it. You may or may not need the words of the screen here because it's such a familiar prayer that for many of us, I guess, we'll we'll know it really well. So reading from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Growing up, I lived in a small village um, near Reading in Berkshire, and uh, my house backed onto a field, and that field backed onto a train track. Uh, but it wasn't just any train track. This was the, the kind of uh, the, the, the main line between uh, London and Bristol. Uh, I think it's called the Great Western Railway. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, Great Western Railway. So it's the main line, okay, between between London and Bristol and, and Reading. And so it was a noisy uh, train line. They'd come past at all times of day and they'd come thundering past at top speeds. Um, and so what that meant was that like, often you'd hear this kind of loud noise, often you'd hear the ground shake. Um, that, that was quite a common occurrence um, just f- growing up for me. 
Now, one day, we, I had a sleepover from school. I had some friends over around at my house. And, uh, and, and being the kind of hospitable host that I was, even at that tender age, uh, in the morning, when, when everyone woke up, I said to everyone, how, how did you sleep? And they all said, oh, I didn't sleep a wink. Oh, man, that noise and that ground shaking. I couldn't believe it woke me up with a start. What was it? And I said, what, what, what are we talking about? What, what noise? And they said, yeah, the trains, the trains. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, the trains. Because for me, I'd lived there for, for however many years, and the noise had become so familiar for me that I'd sort of blocked it out. It's like it had become background noise that I'd sort of phased out and could pretty much ignore. And for my friends, obviously, it was having a big impact hearing it for the first time. And I think as we approach the Lord's Prayer, that can be a bit like that for us. There's a danger of over-familiarity for us in coming to this. We know it so well, we can kind of recite it in our sleep. Uh, it's kind of blended into the background of our Christian lives, of our walks with God. Maybe sometimes we'll, we'll kind of dust it off. Maybe we'll go to an event, perhaps a, a service at a more traditional church, and we might recite the Lord's Prayer. And we're like, oh yeah, the Lord's Prayer, I know that, I remember that. But it's not having the impact on our lives that perhaps... It could be having, or perhaps that it would be having if we were hearing it for the first time. Just like my friends, when they heard those trains, it was, wow. That's the kind of impact that um, perhaps it can have on us afresh. That's what I hope, actually, today as we're going through it. The writer, um, Kenneth Bailey, tells a story of meeting a young Christian woman who'd grown up in the Soviet Union. Okay, so this was kind of however many years ago now. Um, she'd grown up in the Soviet Union, and that means, meant that all of her education had been in the communist state system, which was designed to indoctrinate students with a strict form of atheism. So under the Soviet Union, there was no religious education, nothing was taught about Christianity or about God. It was very much an atheistic sort of worldview that was taught. And so this guy, when he met this, this lady, he's like, you, you're, you know, you've grown up under the Soviet Union, yet you're a Christian. So he was intrigued, and he said, tell me, how did you become a Christian? And this was her response. She said that growing up in the Soviet Union, at funerals, we were allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. As a young child, I heard those strange words and had no idea who we were talking to, what the words meant, where they came from, or why we were reciting them. When freedom came, as in the fall of communism, I had the opportunity to search for their meaning. When you are in total darkness, the tiniest point of light is very bright. For me, the Lord's Prayer was that point of light. And by the time I found out its meaning, I was a Christian. What we have here, what we're coming to here, is a rich treasure trove Okay, it can teach us so much about what it means to relate to God, what it means to, to have a communion with God, to have a relationship with God. Tim Keller, who's a famous uh, American uh, church leader in New York, he says this about the Lord's Prayer. He says, the whole world is starving for spiritual experience, but Jesus gives the means to it, sorry, Jesus gives us the means to it in just these few words. Okay, so as we get into this, my prayer is that we will see it with fresh eyes uh, and that we will hear it with fresh ears and that we will be inspired to, uh, to start using and to start praying this prayer that Jesus taught us and for it to start shaping us. And really, just to, in terms of expectations of this morning uh, and of me as I'm doing this, as I'm preaching this and bringing this to you, um, what I want to give you is some stimulus to go away with. 
Okay, we haven't got time to really get into the riches of this treasure trove of the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I'm going to try and do justice to it as much as we can in the time. But really what, what my heart is is that you get hold of this and you go away and explore more. And just to say that if you want to do that, um, we've got some resources as a church to help you to do that. Uh, a number of years ago, Jonathan preached through a mini-series on prayer. And it was actually a, a mini-series on the Lord's Prayer. So um, it's on the website there um, if you want to look it up. It's got a little prayer and a picture of a cloud. Uh, it's on our website. There's a number of, of preachers where he goes through and kind of expounds the Lord's Prayer in a bit more detail. So um, get on, on the internet and uh, download those and have a listen. Now, the Lord's Prayer is recorded in two places, in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at Matthew's version today. But in Luke's account, what happens is the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And then Jesus responds by giving them this model of prayer. Now, it's interesting, as you, if you're thinking about that, like, why, why are the disciples coming and asking him to teach us to pray? What do they mean by that question? Uh, are they saying, Jesus, you know, I want to up my game in my spiritual life. I want to increase my spiritual disciplines. I want to be excellent at doing this thing called prayer. Now, I want to suggest, no, that's not where they're coming from. <laughs> that The disciples, they've been living with Jesus over the last couple of years they've seen him up close they've been walking with Jesus they've been following him and they've seen him and the way that he prays and the way that he relates to God so they've seen him praying in public and they've seen him praying in private they've observed him getting up and spending long hours praying talking to his father sometimes long kind of all-night vigils and so what they're saying when they come to him and say, teach us to pray, is they're saying, Jesus, will you teach us what it means to have the kind of relationship with God that we see that you have? Will you teach us to have a relationship with God in the way that, 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 you, sh- that you are modeling in your life? So really what I want to suggest is that the purpose of the Lord's Prayer is to show us how to have a relationship with God. Okay, it's to show us, Jesus is showing us how to have a relationship with God. It's not um, some kind of a list that we need to kind of tick off or just a, something that we recite. It's, it's actually a whole basis, a whole framework for what it means to have a relationship with God. Notice how in verse 9 Jesus introduces it and he says, this then is how you should pray. He doesn't say, this then is what you should pray. Yeah, so he's not just giving us a kind of, okay, here's a prayer, you just recite this and tick it off. And that's how you relate to God. And, and actually, the more you do it, the more holy you'll be and the closer to God you'll be. Um, no, it's, this is how you should pray when you pray. This is a, a, a basis, a, a model of how you should pray. So the Lord's Prayer is not a formula um, or some kind of mantra for us. It's a whole, a whole framework for how to relate to God. Okay, and that's what we're going to be kind of opening up a little as we, as we continue. An example of this could be, um, so I'm... I'm married, I've been married for a number of years, and uh, on our wedding day, obviously, myself and my wife exchanged marriage vows. Um, but, but then we don't, we, don't really talk, we don't really kind of talk our marriage vows back to each other on a daily basis. So we don't get up in the morning and say, hello, darling, um, you know, for better or worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, we're going to live today. Um, but I'd hope that we live them out. So when one of us is sick, we'll look after each other. You know, when we're going through a tough time, we'll stick together. And when we're in a good time, we'll celebrate, that kind of thing. So we're living out our marriage vows day to day, but we don't just kind of recite them to each other. In the same way, as a boy growing up, I was in the Scouts. Any, any ex-Scouters out there or current Scouters? Oh, 
couple of uh, embarrassed people saying, yeah, I admit that. <laughs> the Scouts. I was in the Scouts. It was a great time. And, um, and it, it, when I was in the Scouts, I remember one Scout camp in particular where um, the tent w- was kind of was up, but it was blowing a gale and the tent was flapping around. And the leader was saying, come and, come and help us to peg the tent down, you know, because we, we, we need to do this. Now, if he said to me at that point, Owen, could you come and help us peg down that tent? If I would have said... On my honour, I promise to do my best, to do my duty to God and to the Queen, to help other people and to keep the Scout law. <laughs> Which I remember, you see, it's in my mind. <laughs> that wouldn't have really helped at that moment, would it? Um, and, and see, th- this is what the Lord's Prayer is like. It's not this kind of mantra or thing just to reel off. It is really something to live by. It's almost like a kind of... Uh, almost like a vow like, like you'd have or like a promise like you'd have. It, 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 it's, it's a prayer that we can live by. So we need to spend time thinking about how each part of it, each phrase can apply to our lives and how we can use each phrase as a, as a catalyst to pray, to speak to God. Now, um, many of you will be aware um, that this is actually very topical. Uh, the Lord's Prayer has been in the news this week. Uh, does anyone know about this story? I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this story. Okay, so um, it's, it's actually been controversial this week. So this is very topical that, we're, that we've arrived at this today. Um, the Church of England produced uh, uh, a one-minute video um, on the Lord's Prayer. It's just different people praying through the Lord's Prayer. Very simple. And what they did was they thought, I oh, know, let's, let's try and get this into cinemas to be played before Star Wars when it comes out at Christmas. That was the idea. But what they found was the company that sells the advertising into cinemas rejected it on the basis that they thought well, this could be offensive to some people who don't have any faith or whatever or from another faith. And I'm sure you know, many of you have seen that story this week and there's been lots on the internet. And, and many Christians haven't really known how to respond. Um, some have responded with a sense of outrage. Come on, we need to boycott cinemas or we need to campaign to let the advert be shown and that kind of stuff. And there's a number of different responses. But Really, I think this, is, this is kind of sets the context for us today, looking at the Lord's Prayer quite well. Because the context of the world we live in is that as Christians, we are going against the flow. We are going against the flow of society. Okay? The context we're in, there's, there's so many people really now who subscribe to atheism, who don't believe in God at all. And so the idea of seeing the Lord's Prayer when they go to see Star Wars at Christmas, dressed in their stormtrooper outfit or whatever... They're going to be thinking, whoa, hang on a minute, I don't agree with that. So that's going to be controversial for people who are atheistic. But even, even for many, and there's, there's thousands and thousands of millions really in our society that would call themselves spiritual or that would say that spirituality is a good thing, it's a spirituality that doesn't really square up with this. Okay? And what the spirituality of the world would say is, well, okay, that's nice, thank you for giving us this little model for how we can pray, but... Do I really need someone to tell me how to have a relationship with God? Do, do, I, do I need someone to show me how to have a relationship with God? Surely I can just relate to God on my own, can't I? Can't I just relate to God in my own way? I mean, if God's God, anyway, he, he knows me, you know, knows all my little quirks, and I can just relate to God in my own way, can't I? Now, if you go and pick up Psychology's magazine, you'll see that kind of a mindset spoken about. See, the world says that true spirituality is all about your own self-expression. It's all about self-discovery, about being true to yourself. That as you kind of be spiritual and as you look to pray and as you look to kind of engage with, with God, whatever God might look like, that you should above all be true to yourself. 
And the way you pray needs to serve your own needs and your own feelings and your own sense of general spiritual well-being. See, prayer needs to serve you above all, is what the world says. Now, just to illustrate this, um, I don't know if any of you have been to the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery recently, but in the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery in the centre of town, they currently have an exhibition on faith. And there's lots of different exhibits from various different kind of world religions and things. And they actually have a, a prayer tree. I've got a picture of it here because we went last week. Um, and, and what this is, an interactive thing. You can just pick up one of those little post-it note leaves and you can write your prayers on there and put it on the board. And there's all kinds of different prayers that people have, have written on there. And it's very interesting to see what kind of things people put. Um, and you know what? The, the thing that, that, that intrigued me about it was that there pro- I could probably count about three leaves that mentioned God. Most of them were all kinds of different things. This is my favorite. Can I eat lots of chocolate and not get fat? Praise Ellen in 2015. That's brilliant, isn't it? That's li- that is a prayer literally to have your cake and eat it, isn't it? I love that. But, I mean, that was the most extreme example. But this just, this just illustrates that spirituality in, in our world is very much on our terms. Very much. We, we pray on our terms. And as Christians, we can buy into this lie as well. We're not, in, we're not above this. So we can, we can start to re- relate to God entirely on our own terms. And, and our prayer lives can be like, okay, right, I'm starting from me. I'm starting from where I'm at. Okay, so I'm praying about my life. I'm praying about my cares my dreams, my needs. Um, And then if it doesn't go according to our plan, our prayers can look a lot different. You know, we can start to pray the kind of prayers where we're saying, God, where are you? Why did that happen? Um, You know, I trusted you for that. You haven't answered on this yet. Um, Or we can just stop praying altogether. We can just give up because we think, well, look, I'm not getting any answers here. And the thing is, the model that Jesus gave us of prayer absolutely blows this out of the water. Okay, absolutely blows it out of the water because what it says is that when we come to God in prayer, we do it on his terms, we don't do it on our terms. And that is why the Lord's Prayer is controversial. That is why they don't want to show it in cinemas. And do you know what? I'm not surprised. I am not surprised because that is the world we live in. We need to wise up to that. We really do. We don't live in a world that is friendly towards being Christian. We live in a world that is anti it, really. So why do we need to come to God on his terms? I need to explain that. And really the Bible can explain that for us. Okay, so um, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this, that God's ear is not too dull to hear. Okay, so God's ears are open. He can hear every single prayer that is prayed all around the world. But, goes on to say, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. All right, that's, that's a situation that we face before God. Uh, the, this word sin, this is something that separates us from God. This sin basically is a word in the Bible and it means rebellion. It means our turning away from God. How each of us in our own way has, has, has rejected God, has, has asserted our own independence and has decided we're going to go and do our own thing and we're not going to follow God. And, and really the Bible is saying that, you know, to some extent or other, all of us have done that. And so that's the context that we're in. We don't have a leg to stand on in coming to God. That's, that's the reality. That's the kind of part of the gospel that we have to understand. We have to know. Our sins have separated us from God, and so he won't hear. It's like his ears are closed. So the Lord's Prayer 
actually, coming into that context, the Lord's Prayer is an invitation of grace. It is an invitation of grace to us. Do you have any idea how bowled over the disciples would have been when Jesus first spoke these words? Okay, when, when they came to him and they said, Lord, you know, will you teach us to pray? Teach us to have a relationship with God like, like you have. And he says, okay, okay, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven. What? Our Father? Our Father in heaven? That would have been radical to them. As first century Jewish people, they would have been inclined to conceive of God as, as an exalted being, Rightly so, they relate to him as a nation, as a people. But the idea of a personal relationship with God was scarcely like to be imagined. When they spoke of God, they'd use kind of exalted titles, Lord, King, those kind of things. But, but Jesus is saying, now when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and say, our Father who is in heaven, he'll hear you. I mean, that is something else. That is, that is radical, radically different. And he's speaking this into a context where people, are, he's been saying, you know, look, you don't have to stand on street corners and pray impressively. Okay, you don't have to use long words. You don't have to be like the kind of religious people who do that. You just go into your room and you pray to fa- your father who is unseen. This is a new way of relating to God. And it's not about our performance. It's not about how well we pray, but it's a gift through Jesus. Okay. This passage that I read in Isaiah 59 about God not hearing us because of our sin, later on in that passage it says this in verse 20, the Redeemer will come to those who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. It's an amazing kind of hope in there as well. The Redeemer, that's Jesus, the one who comes and buys us back, the one who comes and pays a price and, and takes us back into relationship with God. That's what Redeemer means, that's what he's done. And to those who repent of their sins, and that means that if you... You're, you know, you're, you're walking away from God. You turn around, you change, and you decide that you're going to uh, follow God instead. And you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, that, that through His death on the cross, He paid that penalty to buy you back. And you confess that Jesus is Lord. If you're one of those people, the Bible says of you that you are born of God. You are adopted by God and given a spirit of sonship, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that we're children of God. We, we can call God our Father, not, not on our own basis, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. That's the absolute wonder of the gospel. And it's amazing, as we, the very first phrase in this prayer reminds us that, wow, God's our Father. I can call God our Father. One writer said that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are literally praying in Jesus' name. Because you're praying the prayer that Jesus can pray to God. Because Jesus can say, Father. And so he enables us to enter into that relationship too. So that means we can just say, Father, Father. Anyone think that's pretty cool? (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, so this is an invitation uh, to enjoy um, relating to God, our Father. So having considered what it means to pray, our Father, we need to consider what then it means to pray, hallowed be your name hallowed be your name. Quite old sort of fashioned language, but um, what it means, what the word hallowed means is basically to consider something holy, to consider something as being, as being excellent, as being, as being holy, as being pure, as being set apart. So what we're saying to, is God, hallowed be your name. We, 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 as we've said, our sins mean that we don't deserve to have a relationship with God, by his grace, we can enter into that relationship and call him Father. But as well as calling him Father, we're saying, yeah, but your name is holy. 
Your name is to be honoured. One of the wonderful things about, about being a Christian, there's this kind of tension in, in how we relate to God. We, we can be friends of God. We can know God closely and intimately. But there's also that fear and that awe of coming before God. It's interesting that the word, the word um, father, you know, comes from this Aramaic word, Abba, which a lot of Middle Eastern languages still use today. It's so sad that we don't have a word in our language that, that expresses the same thing. So it's hard for us to grasp what it means to call God Father. It's more intimate than Father, but it's more reverent than Daddy, Abba. So it kind of, we, we come to God and we, we're close, but we also say, God, hallowed be your name. And one of the things we might ask as we're praying is, is isn't God's name holy already? How come we're saying to God, may your name be, be holy? It's like, well, isn't God's name holy already? Why does he need us to pray that? Well, what we're saying, this is a prayer. So we're, we're saying to God, Lord, may your name be considered holy in our lives and in the world around us. We're saying, grant that I may reverence you in the way that you deserve. 1 Peter 3 verse 15, um, it says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Uh, and and uh, you could interpret that as, in your hearts, hallow Christ as Lord. That's what it means. It means to, to set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts. So as we pray this prayer, we're asking God to change our hearts. Hallowed be your name. We're saying, God, in here, let me set you apart as Lord. Let my life completely honor you. And there's... Um, there's an internal and an external aspect to this as well. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a kind of thing that's looking at us and there's a thing that's looking at the world because we're, we're obviously saying as well, God, hallowed be your name in the world where we can see that so many people don't believe in God, where there's a prayer tree where people don't even mention God, where God's name is taken in vain and used as a cuss. I mean, that's the context we're in, isn't it? So we're saying, God, may your name be honored. May your name receive the recognition it deserves in the world. Next up is your kingdom come. That's the next line of, of the prayer. Um, I don't know if you, like, like I and my family, uh, love the story of Robin Hood. You know the story of Robin Hood? Everyone knows the story of Robin Hood, right? Robin Hood, yeah. Robin Hood uh, battles against the sheriff of Nottingham and uh, you know, robs from the rich and gives to the poor and he's kind of a folk hero from, from, from our culture. <laughs> Now, um, the context in Robin Hood, and I think this is best portrayed by the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is one of my all-time favorite films, <laughs> and uh, partly because Sean Connery's in it, that, that's why. Um, but Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, so the king, the king is away. The context is the king has gone away, Richard the Lionheart. He's away, he's not, he's not in the country anymore, uh, and, 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 and no one really knows if he's coming back. He's kind of said he's coming back, but... Some people have doubted, it's been a long time now, whether he'll come back. And in his place, the evil Prince John has started to rule. Okay? And he's not the king, but he's acting like the king. And he's taxing the people. He's just wanting to get rich. He's taxing the people, he's oppressing them. And him and his evil sheriff of Nottingham are kind of putting all this kind of horrible weight on the people. And that is a bit like the context that we're in. When we think about this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. So Jesus is the rightful king of the world. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Now he's gone away. He's back to at his father's right hand. But he said that he's going to come back again. 
We know that Jesus is coming back again. But while he's away, there is another ruling in the world. Another tyrant like Prince John or the Sheriff of Nottingham. The devil, the evil one. Okay? He's, he's ruling in the world. He has jurisdiction here. But he's a usurper. He doesn't deserve to be here. And he's out to kill and to steal and to oppress the people into allegiance to him. And he, may, he wants to make them forget about the king and, and lose hope that the king is going to come back. That's the context we're in. And that is the context in which we pray, your kingdom come to God. Let the people remember you. Let the people acknowledge you as rightful king. Let, may you overthrow the usurper. May you let people be released from his power to live under the rule of the true king that is just and fair. Because the context, as we've seen going through the Gospel of Luke over the last couple of years, is that the kingdom of God is kind of breaking in. Jesus is coming back at the end of time. He is coming back to, kind of, to reign as king, just like Sean Connery returns at the end of that film and uh, it has a little kind of cameo and everyone's happy because the king is back. Jesus is going to return. But in the meantime, his kingdom is breaking in different places. His kingdom is, is breaking in here in our lives, breaking in in society in lots of different ways. And so he says to us that we're ambassadors of the kingdom. We carry the kingdom. We're almost like the kind of flag bearers of the kingdom. And we, so we, we, we are on his side fighting against this kingdom of Satan. Okay, so we can pray, God, let your kingdom come. I'm afraid we're kind of rushing through this because I want to cover everything. But as I said earlier, I'm trying to give you some stimulus here. I'm trying to give you some stuff to, 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 to go away with, to then sort of put into practice in your own life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that is a, a challenging prayer because when we pray this, we commit ourselves to a couple of things. We commit ourselves to finding out what, what God's will is. If we're saying, God, your will be done... We need to know, as much as we're able to, we need to know and understand what God's will is. And also, we're committing to doing God's will. If we're going to pray, God, your will be done, we're not just then going to go, oh, well, yeah, I'll just go and do whatever I want. (laughs) If we're really praying that and, and, and meaning it, then we're committing to doing his will as much as we know it. Romans 12, it says, Do not be conformed, sorry, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, there, there's lots of situations where we don't know God's will. And I'll refer you to Johnny's excellent sermon earlier on in this series where we looked at um, Gideon. And he was looking at guidance. And what do we do? How do we pray for God's will when we don't know? You know, if I'm thinking about where's my family going to be in 10 years, I don't know that. Or if you're thinking about what job am I going to do or, or where am I going to live, those kind of questions... You know, we don't know the answers to those, but we can say, God, your will be done. And we can get to grips with what the Bible says about God's revealed will. Because there's lots of stuff that he's taught us that we can know and that we can put into practice. And that's what, that's what we need to do. And that's what we're, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're committing ourselves to saying, okay, God, let me know your will. So that's part of, part of what that's about. And again, this is, this is all part of the context of us coming before God and recognizing the, the context in which we have this relationship. It's, this is by grace. We can't pray this other than by the grace of God. This is a gift that's been given to us. We don't deserve it. We deserve to have the ears of God blocked to our, to our cries because of our own sin, because of our own rebellion against God. But God says, no, because of Jesus, I can give you this relationship. And so we can pray, okay, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. 
and show me what that, what that is. Now, the first half of the Lord's Prayer kind of focuses on things that are, that are related to God. You know, God's name, God's holiness, um, God's kingdom, God's rule. And then the sort of second half, the last few phrases of the prayer, um, turn to a bit more towards us and towards things that perhaps, you know, relate to us or things that, that, that we need. And I think that's good because it means that we'll be coming to these prayers with the right perspective. You know, having been shaped and having been changed by, by God and who God is and having focused on him, we're now in a good place to start praying for things for ourselves. So first up, give us today our daily bread. So this is about asking God for our needs to be met. Okay, we're asking for, for our needs to be met, our needs for food, our needs for shelter, clothing, and we're recognizing that all these things come from God, that we're actually dependent upon God for all of these things. It's a tough one for us because, you know, we, most of us are pretty well, you know, maybe well off. We don't need to think about where the next meal is going to come from. Maybe, maybe for some of us we do, but for m- the majority of us, it's kind of we take it for granted. But, but actually, this is a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to remember. God, we're dependent on you. And the more we allow God to shape our will and desires, the more genuine this prayer will be. I'll tell you, this is a good prayer for this time of year, right? Black Friday weekend. It's Cyber Monday tomorrow. You're bound to have, open your email later and have all these different offers flying into your inbox for great bargains you can get. Christmas is in a month. It's a time where consumerism is like really high, yeah? This is a good prayer for this time of year because this is about having a balanced view of life and possessions. And it's all about attitude. It's not saying, you know, oh God's, okay, if I'm well off, please make me not well off. Or maybe even if, if I'm poor, you know, give me more. I mean, Augustine put it like this. He said, give me neither poverty, lest I resent you, or riches, lest I forget you. But the point is, it's about attitude. Okay, whether or not you're rich or poor, it's about attitude. You're saying to God, I'm dependent on you, so please give me what I need. Man, we need to teach this stuff to our kids. We really do. We really need to get to grips with this. We need to uh, understand that we only really need what we only really need. (laughs) And God knows that. And the other thing is acknowledging that everything we have comes from God as well. This is a prayer of real dependence. The the person that prays God, um, give us today our daily bread, is the person that knows they are dependent upon God. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Everything that we have comes from God as a gift. Okay, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I'm going to kind of modernize a story that Jesus tells. Just imagine that you... Um, you Receive a letter from the HMRC saying that you've been overpaid tax credits by thousands and thousands of pounds and you now have a bill saying that you need to pay back more money than you could possibly pay back. And if you were to phone up the, the tax credits helpline and say, look, oh, I've no idea about this. I, I don't know. I can't pay this back. I can't pay this. Please, please, will you cancel this debt? And if they were to say, okay, all right, we cancelled the debt. Well, that really would be a miracle. But let's just say if that happened. If you begged and they cancelled it, and then, then imagine that you go out into the street and you see a friend of yours who owes you a tenner. And they say to you, look, I can't, I can't pay you back. I'm really sorry. I haven't got the money. And you say, what do you mean? Go and, go and draw the money out now. I need that money right now. Come and get it to me now. Like that, that is the kind of attitude that Jesus is saying is a really bad one to have, <laughs> clearly. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And again, this is coming back to the gospel that we've been kind of dwelling on a little bit already this morning. The bigger debt that we have is always the one before God. Now, don't hear me wrong, you know, humans do some bad things to each other, as we know. You've only got to look at the news, or maybe from your own experience. You know, we can do some foul things to each other. And there are some big debts out there. There are some big debts, and sometimes big debts can be hard to let go of and to forgive. But the thing we need to get to grips with is the fact that we have the bigger debt before God. And, and if God's forgiven us, then we can forgive others, no matter what they've done. Time is, is against us, so we're going to move on. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the Bible says that we've been made righteous in Christ. And what we're saying in this is, keep us living in that righteousness. Okay, so everyone, I, woke up, I wake up, I'm, I'm righteous in Christ. Jesus has made me righteous. But, but when we're saying, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, we're saying, God, keep me living in that righteousness. Just as we depend on God for our physical sustenance, we're also saying we're dependent on you, God, for our moral uh, triumph, our spiritual victory. You know, and we can all get into that thing sometimes, can't we? We're doing quite well in our Christian life. Maybe we're praying lots. We're feeling really good. We're enjoying times of worship. We're serving really well. And, and we can suddenly find ourselves thinking, hey, I'm doing all right. I'm good. And there's that independence comes back in again. And that's why we need to say, God, lead us not into temptation. Save me from that. Save me from that independent spirit. Remind me that I'm dependent on you and I need you to help me. Okay. Just to wrap this up now, because time is against us and has gone. Um, this, this, this prayer, this amazing model of prayer that Jesus has given us, it's like an MOT for us. You can look at it like that. If you, if you spend some time thinking about what the Lord's prayer means, it, it's like a test of where we're at in our relationship with God. Relating to God using this model can change us and can transform us. But also, the extent to which we can honestly pray it shows us the extent to kind of how we're doing in our relationship with God, really. It shows us sort of the extent to which we're really following Jesus and we're really serious about that, I guess. So I want to say, just leave you with a challenge to go away and just spend some time in the Lord's Prayer this week. Spend some time using this as a model for your prayers. Okay, there's, there's approximately, there's about seven lines, depending on how you divide it up. There's kind of seven different phrases in this prayer. Why don't you spend five minutes on each one of those? Just spend 35 minutes, pretty much just about there or thereabouts, the length of this sermon, maybe a touch longer. Um, but spend 35 minutes going through this five minutes on each phrase, just meditating, thinking through and praying and using each phrase, uh, phrase as a catalyst to your prayers. Alternatively, there's seven days in a week. Why don't you take a bit of time every day, whenever you pray, to just take one phrase from the Lord's Prayer and through the whole week, you, you've prayed through the whole, the whole thing. This is designed to, to help us and to aid us to, to how to have a relationship with God. You know, that's, but we're in our rightful place before God. Let's pray as we finish.